Well, good morning, everybody. We're so glad, I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for being a part of this service and all of you who are worshiping with us online. Welcome to Sugar Creek Baptist Church today. And I wanna give a special shout out to Debbie or Deborah, no, Debbie in San Francisco and to Deborah in Las Vegas and Christopher in Nigeria and Ely and Copa, our friends in Canada, along with hundreds and hundreds of other people who join us every single week online in worship. God bless all of you and thank you for all of our campuses joining together in this service today. Now, uh, in the card talk time, you heard about Empowered, the mission event that is coming this next week. And I, I just got, I have a special ask for you. Last year, we had over 800 people that came. And I'm telling you, there were a bunch of kids. It was so much fun for the kids. And watching the kids actually having fun and learning about missions at the same time was so enjoyable. There's gonna be food from Columbia. Ender uh, 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 explained that to us and there is a fee and a uh, cost. The cost actually is about flying all these missionaries in and the cost for putting it all together. And we so appreciate you helping us out with that. But here is my big ask. If you think you're gonna come or you're sure you're gonna come or just maybe you're gonna come, sign up today not next week, and I'm gonna tell you why. We have to get a better idea of the number of people that are coming because there's a lot of arrangements, especially for all the food, and it would help us if you signed up today. You can go out with any of our campuses out and sign up at the table after the service is over, and doing it today would really help us. You still can sign up next week, but if you could today, that would be a big help for us as we get ready for next Sunday. There was a young guy who was madly in love with this gal and he thought this was the moment he was going to propose marriage. I'm telling you, that is a scary moment for a guy. And he picked a site uh, that he thought was so beautiful, it was uh, overlooking a lake that was gorgeous and it was just the perfect site. So there they are, they're sitting together and they're looking at the lake and he turned to her and he said, sweetheart, I love you with all my heart. I think about you all the time. You're the only person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Would you marry me? Sure, I don't have the money that Johnny Green has. He's wealthy. And I don't own a mansion like Johnny Green and I don't have a yacht and I don't have a sports car like Johnny Green, but I love you with all my heart. Would you marry me? Well, there's a pause for a moment. And then she says, well, that really sounds good, but tell me more about Johnny Green. <laughs> love is hard. And in fact, all of our life, we have to learn about love and we have to learn how to love all of our life. And the more we learn about love, the more we realize there's so much more to learn. Love is not an emotion. If it was, we wouldn't have to learn anything. We'd just react because it's emotion. But that turns out to be puppy love that always disappears in no time flat. No, mature love, grown-up love is the hardest thing you will ever do, but it is the greatest reward you can ever imagine. It is worth everything. 
to be deeply in love with another person. It's love that God is talking about in this passage of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, all the way to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, listen to how he puts it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now, the key phrase I want you to grab in this passage is this idea, be imitators of God. To imitate means to mimic. It means to trace. It means to walk in the footsteps of. What God is asking is, would you be willing to learn how to love by tracing the examples that I have shown you about love? Would you walk in my footsteps and I'll show you how to have a deep abiding love with someone else, with other people in your life? To walk in the footsteps of. There was a dad and lad, his son, that decided, hey, I just want some alone time with my son. So they went to Galveston and went to the beach and they were in the water and they floated on floaties out in the ocean. And then they decided, hey, let's take a walk along the beach. And at first they walked together side by side. That little boy just admired his father. His father was his idol. His father was his hero. And after they were walking a while, he decided, hey, I want to walk behind my dad for a little bit. And what he was doing was trying to step in the footprints of his dad. That's the idea. And God is saying, I want you to step in my footprints. We can't do everything that God does after all, he's God. But he is saying in this passage, there's two things that you can mimic about me. You can mimic my forgiveness and you can mimic my giving myself away. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. Charles Shelton wrote the book In His Steps. And he wrote the book because actually the book sort of wrote itself. It just happened. The reason is because he was in a little church that made a decision, hey, this next year, why don't we all do something, have the same New Year's resolution? This next year, let's make a decision that every time we make a big decision in our life, no matter what it is, we will first ask the question, what would Jesus do? Well, everybody thought, okay, that's a good idea. WWJD, what would Jesus do? They had no idea how it was going to change their life. In fact, as they began to do it, I mean, in business, in their family life, in every aspect of their life, what would Jesus do? What happened to them is that they began to make very different decisions than they had made before, and they began to experience a blessing in their life that they had not known before. 
In fact, there were some miracles that began to happen and every, they would tell these stories when they got back together on Sunday and all of a sudden Sheldon decided, I gotta record this. He started collecting these stories and sort of the book wrote itself. It changed his life and it changed their life. And there was one particular guy that he did write about that was the owner of the local newspaper and the editor of that newspaper. His name was uh, Edward Norman. And Edward Norman has already committed to God. He loved the Lord, but he decided at the beginning of that year, he would go through every aspect of his business and say, what would Jesus do? Even though he loved God, he had not really used that, that idea before. And so in how he treated his employees, what would Jesus do? In how he paid his employees, what would Jesus do? And in fact, every aspect of his business, what would Jesus do? Even in the ads of people that were advertising, using his paper to do it, every one of them, he went through, what would Jesus do? And he saw all the ads about alcohol and tobacco and he He asked, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus want people to drink more whiskey and smoke more cigarettes? And he decided, no. In fact, in every aspect of his life, not just in his business, but in every part of his life, he he took it upon himself to read all the gospels and hear all the things Jesus taught and all the things Jesus did and he began to alter his decisions the more he began to understand Jesus. In fact, there were elections coming about some moral issues in town and he went to the gospels to look, what would Jesus do? What were the principles he taught that he would do in each one of this? And now when he wrote his editorials, He quoted scripture and he tried his best to align his positions with what would Jesus do? He said when he got to the end of the year, he had not made as much money. And he had a few people upset with him, but he said he had never felt so much joy and peace and satisfaction in his career than he felt then. He'd given his employees raises. He had treated them so much better. His whole life was altered by simply asking the question, what would Jesus do? This is what God is saying. Would you mimic me? Would you walk in my steps? And this morning, there in this passage of scripture we're looking at, there's two key things. Would you mimic God in how you forgive others. This is the first one. Would you imitate God in how you forgive others? Now notice what he says in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as. See the words just as it means to mimic. It means just like you were forgiven by God, would you forgive others? Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You understand what he's saying here. I mean, we don't like it on face value, but you understand what he's saying. That the qualification for forgiving someone is not based upon their worthiness to be forgiven. Because when God forgave us, we weren't worthy. And just as 
God forgave us when we weren't worthy. We forgive someone else when they aren't worthy. That's mimicking God. It was Gandhi who said, the weak can never forgive because forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Did you know where Gandhi got that? He got that from Jesus. Gandhi actually read all of the New Testament, read the Gospels many times. He was, he was so impressed by Jesus. And he even said, I almost became a Christian, but then I met some Christians and I decided not to. Well, we Christians ought to act like Christians. But actually... God's invitation was not be like Christians. His invitation was come and give your heart to Christ. And Jesus would have never disappointed him. It is Jesus that taught this idea. The inability to forgive is a sign of weakness. The ability to forgive is a sign of power. It was C.S. Lewis who made the statement, uh, everybody thinks it's a wonderful idea to forgive until they have something to forgive. If you are married, you have something to forgive. If you have children, our parents, our siblings, you have something to forgive. If you have a boss or you are a boss and have employees, you have something to forgive. In fact, honestly, If you know any other human being on the face of this earth, you have something to forgive. So the question is, what is it that you have to forgive with someone? Who is it that God is bringing to your mind right now and he is saying to you, I want you to forgive this person. Frank and Elizabeth Morris dedicated two years of their lives to punishing the drunk driver, his name was Tommy, who while drunk and driving a car, hit the car of their son and killed him. And they hated this guy. And for two years, driven by hatred, they monitored his every court appearance, followed him to the county jail to make sure he was serving his weekend sentence, and watched his apartment to try to catch him violating his uh, probation. And all the while, infuriated that all he got was probation. But they were determined to find him doing something wrong. Elizabeth said... We wanted him in prison. And the truth is, we wanted him dead. After what he did to our son. Well, how it all turned out is they spent a whole lot more time with Tommy than they ever dreamed. Taking him to church. Inviting him to their house on occasion for dinner leading him to Christ and helping him get his life straightened out. 
Now, what, what happened? Elizabeth Morris said that after two years watching my hatred, I realized it was destroying me. And I came to a decision. I wasn't me anymore. I came to a decision that I had to forgive Tommy if for no other reason but to save myself. And that is what Frank and Elizabeth did. They got their heart right with God. They found something good about Tommy. And they decided with God's grace to invite him to church. And it all came together as God turned their heart from hatred to love. So my question to you is, who is it in your life that you're so angry with, you're so hurt by, how far has it gone? Who is it in your life you need to forgive? We come to a place of forgiveness by getting our heart right with God, by seeing something good in the person we're so angry with, even if we have to use our imagination. If we can have a conversation by talking it out and coming to some middle ground and then giving that person to God. Look, I know from personal experience that sometimes forgiveness is really hard. I've been deeply wounded at times in my life and very angry at times in my life because of something that someone did. And here's what I discovered. Sometimes forgiveness is not a one-time event in which we say, I forgive. Because the deeper the wound, maybe the more layers of forgiveness that you have to lay. It may very well be that today, in all sincerity, you say, God, I forgive, and you name this person. And tomorrow, you may have to say, God, I forgive this person. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, laying layers of forgiveness. So how do you know when you finally arrived? How do you know that you have actually forgiven that person? I think there is a test. I think when you hear the name of that person or you see the face of that person and there is no more emotion inside of you, that you have finally arrived at forgiveness. And you can, no matter what it is, you can. If Frank and Elizabeth Morris could come to it, you can come to it too, of finally forgiving one of the ways God has said to us, I want you to emulate me, I want you to trace me, is in how you forgive. 
there is a second thing, and that is we are to imitate God by giving ourselves away. So look at what he says in verses one and two of Ephesians five. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as. There's that phrase again. I want you to mimic me in this way, he is saying. I want you to trace, I want you to follow my steps in this thing, just as Christ also loved you. Now, how did he show love to you? He gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He gave himself up. Maybe one of the aspects of love you haven't considered that I hope you'll consider right now is this idea of love gives yourself up for another person. Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that's another name for for the Messiah, for Christ. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It wasn't enough for God to come from heaven and take on flesh. It wasn't enough. God could have said, look, I have come a long way. Now I want you to honor me. But it wasn't enough just to give up heaven and take on flesh. He then humbled himself further and became a servant to us. He gave himself up to us. There is another aspect of leadership that maybe you haven't considered either. And it's this idea Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. And Jesus called his disciples together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. No one else You can't find that kind of thing anywhere else in all of literature. The person who wants to be the leader must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Jesus in coming redefined leadership and redefined love. He said love is giving yourself away. In marriage, love is not where one, it's where both give yourself away. It means you give up things you want to meet the need of your spouse and what he or she wants. When you love your children, it means you give yourself away. As children, when you love your parents, it means you give up some things, you give yourself away. Loving other people, whatever the relationship has tied to it, giving yourself away. But I want to take one application of it that I haven't done in a long time. And I want to make a point about the idea of giving yourself away. I've made this statement to you several times in my ministry here every so often, and I'm going to do it again. It's been a long time since I have, but here is the little speech. 
Sugar Creek is not a store and its members are not customers. When I go to a store, I want to be served. I go into the store, I want them to serve me in the capacity that their store was created to serve. I want somebody to wait on me and help me and meet my need in the way that their store was designed to meet a need. Because I'm a customer. But a church is not a store. Sugar Creek is not a store. Our members are not customers. We are a family. We are a spiritual family where we serve each other. One of the things that God asks us to do as Christ followers is to take a ministry, find a ministry that best suits who we are, our talents and abilities, and give ourselves away to serve other people in that ministry. He, he didn't want us to come in and be observers and sit and take and have other people serve us. It's okay that others serve us because we are a part of the family, but we are to also serve others. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 says, God has given each of you some special abilities. It's talking about all of us. Be sure to use them to help each other. In Romans chapter 12, in first Corinthians chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter four, you can look at all three of those chapters and the chapters are dedicated to the idea that God has called us out to serve each other. He has given us abilities. He's given us spiritual gifts. And there is some ministry that he is calling every single one of us out to be a part of, to serve somebody else. Yes, he wants us to be served, but he wants us at the same time to be serving someone else. And when we serve other people, we're actually serving God. Colossians chapter three, verse 23 and 24, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the one you are serving is Christ. Every time in whatever ministry it is, you are actually giving this time to serve Jesus Christ. Bob Buford wrote a book called Halftime. It's a great book. About halfway through your life, he said there is some retooling that must happen, and he sort of guides you through that in the book Halftime. And he has this quote in the book. Start discovering something that is buried within, something that's been there all along. I think God encodes in each of us a DNA. There's a physical DNA that determines whether we're blonde or brunette or male or female, but there is also a spiritual DNA that's in every person. It's a sense of a calling, of a specific mission in life, of a purpose in life that involves serving others. Forrest Lewis had uh, been an usher in the church I went to pastor already for 12 years. He ended up being an usher in that church for 20 years. And Forrest Lewis is a great example, I think, for everybody. He, 
He was 80 years old when, when I came to the church. And uh, for most of his adult life, he did nothing as far as service. He just sat and soaked and watched all, everybody else serve and do ministries. And, because he said, I can't sing, so I can't be in the choir. I'm not any, I don't have a good voice. I don't know how to teach. I don't really have any talents. So I, sh- I don't have to serve. I don't even know where it'd be. One day he said to me, uh, I discovered, wait a minute, I can smile. And I actually like people. And he said, I got under conviction God was calling me into ministry to be an usher, to be the welcomer at the door and then be an usher. And he was the welcomer at the door. And I'm going to tell you, he was famous in that church. Every person that came in, at least through that entrance, he would give that big Forrest Lewis smile and shake their hand. And if they wanted to, he would hug them. And over the course of his time, he became to hundreds and hundreds of kids, grandpa to those kids. It's just amazing. When they'd see him, they'd say, hi, Grandpa Lewis. He became grandpa to these kids and people. He was a magnet. He was a people magnet. That's exactly what was happening. And everybody that came in, he gave a mint, a cheap little mint, you know, a mint and a Buckeye. And I never got the Buckeye thing. I got several Buckeyes from him, but I didn't know they didn't mean anything. I didn't know what the meaning of the Buckeye was, but he'd give a Buckeye and he'd give a mint and he welcomed people. And I'm telling you, the guy had so many people that loved him. There was a revival that broke out in that church. It was incredible what God did. And did you know it was all started by Forrest Lewis? God did something in his life and it began to spread. Forrest died uh, about eight years into my ministry there and I preached his funeral. And the worship center was full packed. There wasn't any empty seats. I'd never seen anything like it. Haven't seen anything like it since. I couldn't believe the number of people that were there. There were people that actually had been in the church and then left, moved to another town that came back, flew back to honor this man. He didn't have much money. He didn't accomplish much things in the world. He didn't really have a lot of talents. But the impact was absolutely amazing to me. Because what God gave him, he used to serve God and other people. You have talents, you have abilities, you have spiritual gifts. And one of the things that God has done is called you into the ministry in some way. And there is a ministry at your campus that is not being done the way it should be done because you are not a part of it. It's a story uh, from old Chinese story 
of a man who had come to the end of his life. He had 12 sons. He was on his deathbed. He asked all of his kids to come, and he asked them to all bring an arrow. It was back in the time when everybody had arrows. And they, all the boys brought an arrow. And when they all came, he got all the arrows together, and he put them in, in a little uh, Pile, and then he had three strings and he tied the three strings around the arrows. And then he gave that packet of arrows to his boys and he said to each one of them, break this group of arrows. And nobody could. He didn't have the strength to break them. And then he untied the three strings and he gave everybody their arrow back and said, now break your arrow. And it was so easy to do. And he said, let me tell you what I'm just showing you. As long as you are together with the three strings of love and truth and service, there is no one who can defeat you. There is no enemy that can come against you that can beat you. But the moment you give up love and you give up truth and you give up service to each other, you become so weak, anybody can break you. What was true about those 12 sons is true about Sugar Creek Baptist Church and is true about your family. The enemy will always come against our families. And when we give up love and truth and service to each other, we're vulnerable. And when our church gives up our love and, our, our tru and the truth of God's word and service to each other, we're vulnerable. But when you have those three things tying your hearts together, no enemy can come against you and succeed. And I'm asking us, would we follow the steps of God in forgiveness and in serving each other the way God has taught us. There are some in this room and in all our campuses, the worship centers and online who've never given your heart to Christ. You've never accepted Jesus as your savior, but you could right now. It is God that will change your life. And I'm asking, would you open your heart to let him do it and yield your heart to him? Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. He rose again from the grave. You're never gonna to go to heaven by being good. You can't be good enough. He's already done it for you. And he's asked, would you give your heart to him? Would you accept Christ as your savior and let him save you and give you the strength and change your life in a way that only God can do? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we ask God, we want to be the people that you want us to be. We want to learn from your example. We want to trace your steps in how to forgive others. And God, there are times in which we think, I can't forgive. But you can give us the strength to do it, to live in forgiveness and to live in giving ourselves away to our family, in our marriage in our business, at our church. Teach us how to love in the way of giving ourself away. 
strengthen our homes and strengthen our church and tie us together with love and truth and service. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.